Um, I had a dear friend tell me uh, about three weeks ago, he's like, you know what is mind boggling about you is the amount of risks you've taken for the last 20 years. Welcome to Becoming Legendary, a podcast where we talk with rad people from all over the planet about their legendary stories. This week, we're speaking with Dennis Gable. Dennis is the host of the Self to Society podcast, a solo podcast focused on authenticity and the struggles it we all go through being humans. Check out Dennis's podcast. You'll really enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, let's get to Becoming Legendary with Dennis Gable. Thank you so much for coming on Becoming Legendary. Dude, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, I start every single podcast the exact same way. So tell me what the typical day in your life looks like. Wow. Uh, I don't really have a typical day. <laughs> um, I'm the creative director for a marketing agency. And so uh, one of the, the values of the company that I work with is that um, I have a lot of flexibility. So, um, on the days that I have my kids, I pick them up from school, I take them to school, I have them, you know, afterwards cook dinner with them. And then I don't work till they go to sleep. Uh, on days where I don't have my kids, I'm up pretty early and at the office grinding. So, uh, I'll typically try to put in really long days on Monday, Tuesday, uh, and then Wednesday, Thursday, I have my kids. And then every other weekend I don't. So, uh, I guess I have typical weeks less than typical days. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like that's becoming more and more a part of the American reality is that the typical day is kind of evaporating. And yeah, it has for me, for sure. Every day is a new adventure. I think that part of that is just more and more people are, are working remotely or at least mm -hmm. semi-remotely. Um, what have have you how long has that been your experience? Is that is that something new? Is that something that's been going on? Um, it's been about a year. I mean, I, I spent a long time in the bar and restaurant industry. So, you know, working nights and waking up late during the day, like in my twenties was never a, yeah. an issue. Um, and then, you know, even after having kids, like I'm always hustling after something, uh, whether it's, I'm, you know, trying to create something or like something like the podcast where I'm just putting time and effort and energy into something, my wheels are always spinning. So for me, uh, being able to be flexible to myself drives other people crazy. <laughs> like yeah. I, I'm not a schedule guy. I don't need a routine. I don't have a task list. I just kind of go. Um, but this particular role I've done for a year uh, and I've had the autonomy that I've needed. And, you know, it's been really great with my kids, like not having to go, uh, not having to like drop them off at daycare and go to an office all summer was like really rad. I could just work from home and have them and interact, you know, multiple times throughout the day. So yeah. it, it's been about a year and I honestly, I love it. It's one of the, my favorite things that, um, that I have in my life is the autonomy. 
Yeah. <laughs> what, how, what were the steps to get there? Right. So for, for a lot of people that that is the, the dream reality or from the outside in, it always looks like the dream. Sure. Reality. <laughs> yeah. From the inside out, it's stressful as hell. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it honestly it was just me not giving up on the things that I wanted or thought I wanted. Um, so, you know, having been in the bar and restaurant industry, I tried sales and I tried these kind of grown up gigs that, um, had 401ks and all my friends were doing sales. And I was like, I'll grow up too someday. And I was actually living in Nashville a couple of years ago and was bartending full time. And I was like, I'm just tired. Like, I'm tired of spending eight to 12 hours a day doing something I don't really care about. Like yeah. I love people. I love interacting with them. Serving them was great. Um, so I actually went to a commercial art college while I was living in Nashville and I didn't do that till I was in my thirties. And, you know, I took the, that experience, my life experience, and then the skills that I honed from being in art college and was just relentless about finding a role as a creative director. And I found one with a, a guy who has a startup. Um, I mean, he's been running the company for 11 years now. The first 10 were like, while well, he had another gig. And so I met him pretty soon after he quit his day job. And he was like, dude, I want a creative director, but we got to be creative about how we do payment and some of those things. And I was like, I'm your dude. Let's, Let's get as weird as we have to yeah. because I want the autonomy of not having to go to a, you know, eight to four or eight to five. So, um, it, it just was me not giving up on, on, the, you know, the lifestyle that I wanted, which has nothing to do with the amount of money I make. Yeah, for sure. It's, it, it's an interesting trap that I think I, I've been, I've been really kind of diving into recently is we feel like, and I think I hear all the time that, that money really creates freedom, hmm. but the re my reality is that you create freedom and money, money is a tool that you can utilize in, in lots of different ways, but it can also just as easily become a trap that pulls your freedom. Yeah. It's like a house. So, uh, I always think about it in this term, like uh, there's nothing about my world where I want a 6,000 square foot house. Cause all it means is that I have to fill it with shit yeah. <laughs> and, and I have to spend more money on the air conditioning to cool it. And money's kind of the same way. Like if you can learn to live off of a particular amount of money and live under that, the freedom is there. Like, yeah. uh, sure. The, the reality that making, you know, four grand a month versus 40 grand a month, are there different freedoms? Yes. <laughs> are there different stresses and different, like you're saying traps, like, I don't know. I drive a really normal car and I only have one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I live in a really normal house, yeah. but I've created this life that I want where yeah. I get a lot of time with my kids, which is not something I had. And it's really, truly the most important thing to me. Yeah. And, and we, the prioritize, the prioritizing of how we, we, put our own personal hierarchy together is the reality that we'll create. So if we put money as the, the primary focus and drive and desire in our life, then it is nothing but a trap because you'll never have enough. There's no, there's no amount that you're ever like, I'm good there. We'll just stop. Right. And, <laughs> uh, and let me be clear. I don't mean to interrupt you. Let, let me be clear. Like I want to make more money. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, uh, what I'm not saying is that the money that I make, uh, I can do anything, I, everything I want with, even for my kids. Like I had to deny them a, a vacation this summer because they wanted to go to Disneyland. And I was like, 
yo, I can afford to keep you alive, but I can't <laughs> afford to take you to Disneyland. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't want to sound like overly optimistic or naive. Having more money would be helpful and working hard for that money is something that I am, am doing and I'm into doing. It's just not my motivator. Yeah. That, yeah. I, there are, there are, it, it definitely provides you the, an easier way to get around. I think that's one of the things that, that money really does. It allows you to get around, but I'm starting to think more and more that as humans, we're not really designed to be able to uh, travel the globe as much as we are. We're not really designed to know about what's going on in Germany right now. Like that is that amount of information is not really our brains, not really set up to hold the world's information. We're designed to know maybe, maybe 20 square miles of information. And we know everything about that. (laughs) So it's it's interesting. It's just an interesting world that we're living in. We're, We're living in a world that I don't really think we're necessarily designed to live in. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, I was listening to uh, one of the Joe Rogan podcasts not too long ago, and I'm a loser and don't remember the name of the guest that I'm going to quote, but he was talking about the expanse of the human brain. Like we literally are smarter than we've ever been. Um, they keep having to make testing harder because the the median score keeps getting higher. And so to your point, like we are, our brain has evolved to take in more data. That doesn't make it natural. And to your point, I agree with you that, um, even the amount of people that we know Mm -hmm. is bananas. Mm. Like I, I end up feeling, cause I, I like to be an intentional person with relationships and I like to spend time with people that I care about. I don't have the I don't have the years to yeah. spend time with all the people who would maybe identify me as a friend or me identify other people as a friend. Like it just, it's too much. Yeah. Um, and that's where I felt it. I, the reality that I think you are observing, I felt in human relationship even more than the expanse of my brain. Yeah. And, and that there's a lot of science around that, right? It's 150 people. That's, that's about the amount of people that we're supposed to be able to know and interact with. Right. And you walk into an office building, there's almost always more than 150 people. It, it just 150 people is a really hard number to have in your, your capacity. Yes. And you jump on social media and then you're bombarded with thousands of people and you're supposed to have, it's supposed to be about genuine relationships with all of these people. That's what they tell us. Right. <laughs> and it, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be. Yeah. It, uh, and, and that's a hard truth. Like, yeah. uh, especially in, you know, I had somebody, <laughs> I did a live on Instagram. Um, and I said, what's up, you know, like fans, friends, followers, like, and somebody wrote back and was like, you probably shouldn't identify people as fans if you want to keep them engaged. And I was like, there are, there are people who are just, they're only there because they're fans of what I do. Yeah. They don't know me. They're not my friends. Yeah. And they don't maybe just follow me. Like it is, I don't know. It's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, my wheels just spin sometimes when I'm thinking about how vast the social, uh, demand really is. Yeah, this the social demand um is part of it's part of this overwhelming pressure that I think the society is feeling as a collective. I feel like there's just 
everybody's just wound a little bit tighter than we should be wound. And we're all just kind of a little closer to the breaking point than we should be. Yeah. Um, and you can feel that we, I was talking about it some, with somebody the other day is the, the most intense time you can feel that is like Friday evening rush hour when people just want to get home and start their weekend and they are fighting for every inch of space on the highway instead of just being like, yeah, I'll get there when I get there. It's it's maybe right. five minutes difference. Maximum you could save if you're driving like a crazy person is five minutes. <laughs> but right. people are willing to risk lives for that five minutes and it's combat. Yeah. And that is something that I don't, I, I, I don't know how we fix. I don't know how we just all... I mean, meditation would help, but if we could all just take a couple deep breaths and just chill out. Um. <laughs> we can't. Like, as a society, we can't. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to. I am very socially optimistic, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but there's just some there's some things that I this is one of those things that is not getting better. You know, I, I don't know. I, I can't even think of a scenario of what it would take for the average insecure person trying to prove their worth through the car they drive, the house they own, the friends they have, the money they make, taking the emotional energy to deal with their experience and their pain and their trauma and letting that circle them all the way through to being patient on Friday afternoon. Like there are people who do it and there are people who do it with, with a lot of passion. Yeah to get to that place of what I would call emotional health, you know, or, or at least a version of emotional health. Um, I just can't think of a social scenario that pushes the masses to put that kind of work in. Yeah. It's that. So there's a, there's a quote. It might've been Jimmy Carter, who, whoever it was. There was one of the U S presidents who talked about, Oh, it's Kennedy. I think who talked about uh, all, all we need is an alien invasion. And if, if there was an alien invasion, we would, we would immediately connect with everyone, right? Like we connect with our, our country adversaries and, and then North and South Korea would come together. We'd all, we'd all come together as this like one human race. But yeah. the moment that threat was gone, that all dissipates and it takes maybe 10 days. I mean, and on a micro scale, you you were able to experience that around the 9-11 attack is there was this change in American cultural networking. Like everybody wanted to be together and supportive. And you hear people talk about New York after that time and how everyone was really nice and there was less honking. And like a week later it's back to normal. <laughs> yeah. Then it just, then the story was who got to ground zero fastest. Yeah. Right. And it was like, I was yeah. there 37 seconds after the second yeah. explosion. And it's like, we're back to, we're, we're back, back right there. We're right where we started. Yeah. yeah. It is. It is interesting. I think that's a really good point though, is there, it, it's very hard to imagine how we could create the societal reset. Uh, barring, barring some type of unforeseen alien invasion, which probably highly unlikely. Right. Uh, <laughs> but that, that, that's probably why you and I do the things that we do, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're hosting right now, spending time and energy out of your life away from your family because you care enough to try to be one, f one breath of wind in that change. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, that's uh, no doubt. I think I think it's an it's it's an interesting thing, and I think it's a great way to just kind of get into your podcast, um, self to society. So how how did you start it? Like what what was the what was the spark for you? Man, um, honestly, the response I was getting on Instagram, uh, doing lives and stories about starting therapy. Um, so a thirty second version of my story. Um, I grew up in a addict house, abuse and divorce and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, getting into my teenage years was a really selfish dude. Um, became a Christian when I was like 18, lived that through probably the last, I haven't identified myself as a Christian in probably a year and a half, two years where I really, I was deconstructing while I was in it, but I no longer even identify myself there. Um, my, my twenties were full of traveling. I was a motivational speaker in high schools, sharing my story of, uh, breaking the cycle to drug addiction. My dad was a heroin user and my mom was on uppers like speed. And so, um, I shared that story hundreds of times, very fortunate to speak to hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and then I took a break, like my Christendom in some way was a path to a stage, right? Like I love to speak. I'm, I think I'm decent at it. I love to create concepts and share ideas. And the church was a place for me to go get that stage. And, uh, I kind of, I wore that out to the point that I had to be honest about what I believed. And so I took like a big hiatus from being a public figure. I put that into quotes cause it's a really weird term, but, uh, I took a break from trying to put my message out there, whatever that message was. And I wanted to really be confident in what my message was. Um, being on the Christian stage, part of it that drove me crazy is I would have to talk about things that I didn't believe a way that a particular story was broken down or yeah. the narrative or, you know, and, and I'm so over that. Yeah. Like I want to give my fullest, my fullest and truest self to anybody that will listen. And so, um, going through, uh, my wife and I separated last October and, you know, we've got two kids and so dr taking them through that. And, um, it was partial relationship stuff, partial infidelity on my part. Like there was, you know, it wasn't just one thing that took us to splitting up, but me looking at my role and saying, I really need to start to fix some of this stuff. Yeah. And I was, I, I don't know. I've been self-aware, I guess for some amount of time, like I journaled all through my twenties. I was really open with pastors and friends and tried to share so much of my story from the stage that, um, there was something I was missing and it was really the clinical piece. Like I'm in a very specific type of therapy, um, that handles trauma and that's its purpose. And so, you know, dealing with, my trauma in that way has been really helpful, um, dealing with my story in that way. But as I was sharing, like therapy is helping and it's hard as hell to get my, like I have therapy tomorrow at two 30 and I'm kind of already dreading it. Um, I'm like already dreading it because I, I know that there's some shit that I have to deal with, <laughs> like <Yeah>. that, but <laughs> that's why I go. And so, um, anyway, there, there just was this demand. Will you please talk about more, more, more? Do you have a book? Do you have a podcast? Do you have a, a channel of, of any sort? And, um, 
Mm. I didn't anymore. I didn't have a blog. I didn't have a channel. I didn't have a YouTube, like there's yeah. videos on YouTube that you can go find, I guess. But, um, I was really talking about it, talking through it with my daughter who's 10. And I was like, people keep asking me to do a podcast. Should I do it? And she's like, yeah, why not? What are you going to do? And I was like, well, <laughs> I want to talk about my journey, like my, my thoughts, my opinions, guilt, shame, regret, therapy, whatever. Like I want to give people these glimpses. And I said, what do you think I should call it? And she goes, I don't know, self to society. And I was like, yep. That'll work. <laughs> so, uh, like literally she named it. I created a brand for it, you know, recorded a few episodes, got them live, did the iTunes thing and just launched it. Yeah. And, um, I've missed one week. So in the last 21 weeks I've posted 20 episodes and man, it's like, I don't know, it's nerve wracking. Like I do these little short one-sided conversations. Yeah. So it's like 20 minutes of me running my mouth about whatever I feel like talking about at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I really crave authenticity and, and I don't say that in, it's like some kitschy buzzword. I don't, let me be super clear. <laughs> I don't say I crave authenticity because I can't find any. I crave it because I crave more of it. Not because it's not there. Like I just want, I want to be a part of somebody's authentic experience and I have a personal belief that you can only experience vulnerability by sharing vulnerability. And that's like the chicken and the egg. Like who, who shares first? Yes, both. I don't know, but I'm willing to put all of my stuff out there in hopes that somebody opens their mouth to help somebody else who op opens their mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, the really bare version of, like what, why the podcast exists and what it is and all that. Thank yeah. You, sir. I, um, I really, you, you can tell that, um, when, when you're into your podcast, it's a, it's a really authentic expression of you, which is what I really appreciate about it. And I think the format of solo rant, um, so I think this is, this is the 22nd or 23rd episode of, of Becoming Legendary. And only one of those has been a solo rant. And, um, that's, so I'm, I'm always hiding behind, behind you guys. Um, that's a, <laughs> it's a different skill set for sure to just be able to, to share yourself on a stream of conscious for a significant amount of time without making, without making a fool of yourself. <laughs> I, I think there's a compliment in there. So thank you. <laughs> it's a definite compliment. Yeah, it's a definite compliment. And, and it's weird, dude, because I, I don't script anything. I, I have a note in my phone, actually, of podcast ideas. And really, truly, I don't use it. Like I keep it there as like a mental log. But I show up and uh, till just recently, I was working with the producer on the podcast. Like, I'm really grateful for him. Uh, not that he wouldn't work with me still. I just, I don't know. I've, I'm kind of finding some enjoyment in doing the recording myself, which was the part that was the barrier for me. Okay. And so him, me working with him gave me the freedom to get to where I am. Um, and so, you know, the last one, like the first 17 have music and now the last three don't. Uh, and some of that's quirky and whatever. Like, I, I don't know. I really don't care. Um, <laughs> But I show up to my microphone and it's either something that's pressing me. Um, so at the end of the last episode, I talk about 
that feeling you get when you believe that somebody needs to hear something from you. And that isn't about you. That feeling is not about you as the sharer of information. It's about the receiver of the information. And I literally show up to the microphone every time just like that. Mm. What do I feel like is needed for me right now? And I just, I like, I don't edit them. I don't have the brain space to go back and like edit. <laughs> I'm, I'm too haphazard for that. Uh, so I just hit record and then I hit end and then I post it. Post like, it <laughs> so it's really obscure uh, the way that I do it, but I, I have to do it this way for me to try to handle running a podcast. Any, any other way I would fail. I think Yeah, at I, least this season. I, so like you said, okay, the recording used to be the barrier and, um, it's no longer the barrier. So you've, you've decided, Hey, I'm just going to do this. I feel like there's so many people that, that could significantly impact their life just by taking that approach. And my personal, like my personal thought on this is do it and fail. And then like, who cares <laughs> if you fail, like, <laughs> no one's going to come back and be like, Oh, look at you. You failed at that. <laughs> this, right. it's, there's no, there's no downside to me to failing. So uh, I can go through like hundreds of things that I've tried this year and failed at. And mm-hmm. some of them, some of them, the, the ones people know about are the ones that worked. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's so fair. That's dude. That's such a great perspective. It really like that, that fear of failure and guys like Gary Vee will say, you know, fail till you succeed. Like that's a pretty common thing to hear right now. And it's something that I not only believe, but have held true and practiced. Um, I had a dear friend tell me, uh, about three weeks ago, he was like, you know what? is mind boggling about you is the amount of risks you've taken for the last 20 years. Like you just won't quit. I'm like, yeah, I can't quit. Like I've got crazy. eye go getter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what you're saying is so helpful because the people who subscribe to what you're doing are the people who are legendary, right? Like the, those are the people who have something inside of them. They they're, they're looking for the motivation to be able to do it themselves and I'll just mimic you and to everybody listening, just fail at it. Yeah. Fail. It's awesome. Fail at it. Cause, <laughs> Cause you're at least doing it. You're and you learn so much. Yeah. Like if Self you, to society's sorry, go ahead. No, no go. Uh, this is actually my second podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah. M- the first one was called 13 minute theology and it was miserable <laughs> and it failed horrifically. Like nobody gave, there was the amount of expletives that nobody gave about that concept is vast. <laughs> uh, so, but I don't talk about that one. Like, yeah, you know, it was cool. I did like seven episodes and got some amazing feedback that was like, this sucks and nobody likes it. And I was like, cool, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> so now, uh, I've failed at it and I'm, you know, I had to get over my own insecurity for sure. But I got over the insecurity. We hit record. I hit upload and we're, and I'm moving. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I shared the 13 minute theology story, hopefully encouraging somebody who feels like they failed at something to keep going. Yes, for sure. <laughs> it's funny. Cause, uh, becoming legendary is my second podcast too. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, like you learn so much and if you're really successful at everything, you don't really learn anything, right? If everything you do works, you're, there's no lessons in that. 
So if you're lucky enough to know everything, then you're not going to learn a lot. But most of us aren't lucky enough to know everything. So we have to fail along the way. And that's just part of the part of the process and, and quite honestly, part of the fun. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Fail. It's good. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, let me ask, let me shift this subject a little bit and, and just mm-hmm. kind of dive in towards personal health because personal health is a, is a big component of, of what we do relative to everything else in your life. Where does, where does your personal health fit in on your hierarchy? Ooh, of all the questions I wanted you to ask me, that's probably not it. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, my mental health ranks really high. Okay. Um, my physical health, meh. Like I, I'm in a basketball league. I play twice a week. You know, it, it helps me sweat. Um, I do yoga. I don't know once a month if I'm being consistent. Uh, I, I actually love yoga, and I'm too like I don't know hard headed to make myself do it every day. Um, yeah, I think my physical health is somewhere very middle of the road. Like, not overweight. I'm not fit. I'm about. I feel like I'm about as physically average as a human can be. <laughs> um, but my brain, I spend a lot of effort on. Uh, I care deeply about my emotional health, my mental capacity, like my ability to be creative at any given moment. Yeah, means a lot to me. Uh, and I, I spend a lot of time and energy honing the discipline to turn on and off my, what I think is my personal genius, which everybody has a personal genius mm-hmm. in my opinion. I, but I spend a lot of energy being able to flip mine on and off. I need it now. It's on. Um, like just before this, I got out of a, where one of the things I do for my work is UX. So, you know, developing the user experience and interface for websites. And, um, I had two meetings back to back. One was an hour and 15 minutes. The next one was an hour and 25 minutes. And then I went straight into this call with you where I have to be emotionally engaged. Yeah. Right. Um, and then after this call, I'm going to turn that switch off and I'm probably going to go eat some food and scroll through my phone a little bit mindlessly. Yeah. And then I'm going to go play basketball. Right. So like, uh, I don't know. I'm not nearly as balanced. This is probably a long winded version of this answer, but, um, I'm not nearly as balanced or disciplined as I would like to be, but I have a, I have a why. Mm-hmm. Um, and the why is such a, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to not cuss on your podcast, uh, which if you've listened, you've listened to mine, obviously. Yeah. And that is, <laughs> I think I do very often. um, it's such a sissy excuse. One of the reasons I don't like going to the gym is because I always feel the need to post on social media that I went to the gym and I hate that. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. One of the reasons that keeps me from there is I follow some influencers and leaders and guys that like the gym changed them or whatever, like changed their course of action and gives them discipline, all of that stuff. And I just want better biceps. Like I'm not going to have this like emotional transformation, but I feel the need to talk about it in a way that is inauthentic. Mm. Uh, And I haven't, if I'm being really honest, I haven't, gathered the personal discipline to not share that I worked out on social media. Mm, Interesting. So let me, let me share this and you just see how it feels. Cause I would argue that society has 
our physical health backwards. Um, I think our meat body, the physical being that we are, needs to be healthy enough, able enough for us to do the things that we want to do. But our brain, which is the thing that most of us ignore more than anything else, is the thing that (laughs) the electromagnetic center of everything that we do, that is the number one priority, right? I mean... Yoga is a great example of this. And we, the, the yogic text has one tiny paragraph about actually moving around, but we've created a yoga practice that doesn't involve an awful lot of meditation in our world. So our, our yoga practice is very physical and the, the origins of yoga are, is very mental with the, uh, proper amount of physicality so that you can sit down comfortably, period. So sure. so I would say if you feel physically fit, if you can play basketball, if you can do the things that you want to do and you're taking care of this thing, you, you know, your brain, you're, you're doing you're doing it right. <laughs> well, it's very encouraging because Instagram tells me that I'm a fat ass every time I look at it. So I I do appreciate that. And, and I, you know, I... I agree with you um, that the brain is the thing that we miss. We misdiagnose or we misprioritize. Misprioritize for sure. Um, the, you, you, no, nobody has a sexy looking brain. It, like it's hard. To, it's hard to sell a sexy brain. Meditation no. doesn't look awesome <laughs> on Instagram, right? No. Like sitting there with your legs crossed is not a beautiful picture. It's not going to get a lot of likes. Standing on your head, possibly creating cervical spine damage or or something worse, that you're going to get a lot more likes, right? And that's the part of part of the real problem with with visual visual things like Instagram is we want the flashiness and we don't really care about what's going on internally. Um, I've, I've been talking about social media a lot as this opportunity to show off your shiny things, right? Like we hold things up and we're like, look at this. I'm cool. Look at this. I'm cool. Look at this. I'm cool. And it's just, it's adult show and tell, um, on a constant daily basis. Here's all the things that I have that make me special. Not here's who I am individually as a unique person these are the skill sets and qualities i have it's here's my shiny stuff right and that is that's part of the problem that we can go back to how we started this this conversation of society just getting a little bit too pressured because you can never have the shiniest thing because there's always something that's more shiny someone will polish it (laughs) right somebody will take your shiny thing and polish it and rub it in your face uh yeah, I mean, like it's it's the curated version for sure. So I posted yesterday a piece of art that I made at the Phoenix Art Museum with my kids. What I didn't post is that I literally had to pull my son by his arm, get down on a <laughs> knee, look him in his four-year-old little eyes, and tell him some very specific <laughs> rules for our experience <laughs> at the museum. Right? Like I, I don't share that. Yeah, I'm sharing the like. I made art with my kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and, and, uh, you know, oh man, I want to be fair, I guess. I don't know that there's anything wrong with us sharing the shiny things. What I wish we could do more is admit that we're sharing the shiny things. Yeah. 
I, I think that's there's nothing wrong with it. Everybody's sharing the shiny things, and nobody's interested in you sharing all the shitty things. Like right. <laughs> nobody cares. You, that message won't get far enough for sure. Um, you're right. And, there's nothing wrong with highlight reels, right? Like if you're a if you're a football fan, they do those like. NFL films things and they're just like really quick little highlights of things that happen. If you're a if you're a UFC fan, they do those mm-hmm. little like here's a pre-fight of all the awesome things these guys have done. They don't show you the other 7 hours of actual in octagon time where it was as boring as could be and there was just two guys standing around. Like there's right. th- that's the reality. Highlight reels are absolutely cool, but we do need I think you're you're right on and that we need to just recognize and be willing to admit there's a highlight reel and that's awesome here's the cool things i've done right and and that that you know that's really how i try to handle mine now like i don't i don't know i hope i don't try to make anybody believe things that aren't true about my life like about my general existence like i'm not posing next to a tesla being like (laughs) without the right caption you know um (laughs) Not suggesting that people do that. <laughs> I just know that people do that. Uh, so, like, I don't know. I, I care. I just, I don't know why I care. If I'm being honest with you, like, I wasn't groomed to care. I yeah. instinctively care. Yeah. People have some sort of genuine experience or authentic input into the universe around them. And I don't know why I care. My, my whole story suggests that I shouldn't care. And I do. And so I use it, you know, like, uh, I think that's, I think that's why my daughter gave the podcast the name she did is because she, she recognizes, and we have conversations, um, about how much I care about strangers. She'll ask me all the time. Do you know that person? No. Why'd you say hi? Cause they're a human. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, (laughs) we've had that conversation a hundred times at least like, why are you being nice to that person? Especially like, this is some real, some real stuff, especially when her mom and I first split, if I was being really nice to a waitress or, you know, like, do you know her? Is she your friend? Why are you being nice to her? (laughs) She brought you your food. I don't know. Like she, she's breathing. She's a human. I don't know. Um, I don't know, man. I, I feel like we, we derailed a little bit, but, um, to the, to the point of, you know, brain versus physical, like balance is one of my favorite things. If there's one thing that I actually pursue for my life, it's balance, Mm. which is why I love what I do for work so much. And the, the autonomy, like, um, I, I feel like I'm active enough to stay active and normal. And I spend enough time on my brain and my emotional health that I don't fly off the handle. Like I've got I woke up in a terrible mood this morning and I hate mornings with my kids. They're the most stressful thing on the planet. So I drove to work like all grump assy. I was like, but I've had a great day. Like it, it, it hasn't carried through to me now being like, ah, it's almost five o'clock. need to go get wasted right now to drink away the last eight hours of my day. Um, so anyway, I balance is the thing that I pursue. I think more than, it's the thing I want to pursue more than any other thing. Yeah. It's one of my, one of my favorite sayings is that extremes are really easy, but balance is, is really, really difficult. And everyone thinks, I I think everyone thinks that extremes are really hard. And I think people are probably sick of me saying that, but 
they're just so easy. It's so easy to say yes or no to something every single time because you just set a parameter and then you just say yes or you just say no. But right. to do it exactly 50% of the time, that takes a real ability to track and be be fluid in your moments. And, and that's just, it's just so much, it takes so much work and it's what, it's what helps heal our brain. Balance heals our brain. That's, that's the truth. So how did you, how did you, how did you start into that idea of balance? Where, where did that come from for you? Experience imbalance. Like, uh, and I talk about this on the podcast too. Like I, even now I go through seasons where I drink a lot. Then I go through seasons where I don't drink that much. And then the, the, the kind of everyday average pursuit of my life is that I drink a little bit, you know, like, yeah. uh, I don't, I, I don't need to be sober to feel like I'm ha- happy or healthy or, um, doing the right thing. I also don't need to be drunk to feel less stress or any of that. Uh, it's the truth that like one of my favorite things to do with another human is to sit down and enjoy, it could be coffee, right? Like it doesn't have to be booze, but to sit down and enjoy a meal or a beer or whiskey or coffee, like it's one of my absolute favorite things to do. And I've experienced imbalance, um, traveling, not saving money as a kid, you know, having these like short one-off little jobs. Like I've experienced so much imbalance that at 36 years old, it's important for me to try to find some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I assume that it exists. I assume it exists. Yeah. I think it's out there. It's just, it's really hard. It's really hard. Who did you see yourself becoming when you were 16? Ooh. Uh, I didn't know myself very well when I was 16. I mean, I, I graduated high school, went to a a community college for business dropped out two weeks later. Cause I was like, this sucks. Like, uh, I assumed I would be married at 24, have four kids, find some line of work that I liked. And then each day went by and I was like, Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I kind of accidentally got to a place where I was like, fi- really figured out what I liked and didn't like. Or at least had some ideas about it. Yeah. At 16, I had no clue, dude. I had no clue. Yeah. I, that, where did you grow up? Phoenix. Okay. I grew up in West Phoenix. Okay. Um, I went to, I grew up in between Maryvale and Avondale. Um, Maryvale, Av- Glendale, Avondale were where my parents, you know, were and went to high school in Avondale out in the West Valley and then kept migrating east. Uh, in the city and have moved away five times or so. And, you know, like just, I kept bouncing and, um, I live in Phoenix again still, um, and plan to do so till my kids go to college. Okay. Okay. That's it. Then I'm going to the beach (laughs) as soon as they're in college and I don't have to stay in Arizona anymore. I'm out of here. All right. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) You've done, you've done your time here. (laughs) <laughs> Did you grow up in Phoenix? I grew up uh, just south of Denver. So um, I've been out here for, I think, about 15 years now. And mm. um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun spot. There's, there's, lots of, there's lots of cool stuff here. And there's, uh, there's also lots of, there's lots of challenges, too. <laughs> it's, a unique, it's a unique place in the world. The, yes. <laughs> there's no denying that at all. When, uh, 
for as you've kind of developed over over the course of time, is there any one person who's been really influential? Is there any mentor or someone who really led you, guided you? Yeah. Um, I wish to, I, what I wish I could say is that that person was me. Uh, and it wasn't. So, uh, honestly, it was people who I put too much weight in guided me and directed me and not necessarily in a negative way. I don't want to paint that picture either. Um, but I, I put a lot of, uh, value in what my friends thought still do. Um, I've had, I have one mentor, his name is Mike and, uh, Mike is still in pastoral ministry. He's, you know, at least old enough to be my dad. And, um, and he functions that way. Like he treats, I, I think we talk and, and interact and hang out. Like he's my dad who lives in a different state because he lives in a different state. And so he's probably been the most consistent person in my life over the last seven years. Um, and outside of that, it just with me being influenced by people, which I hate to admit, like I hate admitting that, <laughs> but I'm going to, cause it's true. I, I think that's reality. I, I think that goes back to the same, the same thing that we talked about. Like you, if you really think that you're going to be your greatest influencer or yeah, you're not going to lead the way you are your biggest influencer. You don't have a choice on that. Cause you're going to make all the decisions that are going to impact your life. But you, you need someone to kind of help point you in the right direction. If you think you have all the answers, you probably are in for some, surprises. <laughs> True. And and I didn't mean <laughs> you're a thousand percent right. Uh, cause the, the way that I made that sound is called narcissism. <laughs> uh, but what I, I guess what I was trying to say is like, I let myself be influenced rather than going with my gut in a lot of ways. Mm. So even if that was like taking the advice of one of the pastors in one of the churches that I was trying to emulate or, yeah. um, letting my friend's view of me, like friends of mine that work eight to five jobs and do sales and they're successful. And I'm, you know, the rebellious one over here, like letting their opinion affect a certain number of years of my yeah. professional life or whatever. Uh, that That's more what I was saying. Not that I thought I had the skill set or wisdom to be like my all, uh, <laughs> my all knowing. Uh, Cause I don't obviously. Yeah, so. no, I think, I think I get that. I, but I think it's important for us as humans to just acknowledge like, Man, because a lot of people, I really think a lot of people are scared to be open about that. To, to, it's very rare that you hear people say, you know what, I don't know. When someone asks them for a question or, or information, you almost always get a response and it's almost always really definitive. And <laughs> I always, I always question that. I'm always like, Man, we've just had like 30 seconds of interaction and then you just gave me this perfect directive to go do. Maybe we should maybe we should think about that a little more, dig into that a little more and figure out where we actually want to where we want to end up. Yeah. Um so I think that more people can acknowledge with more people were willing to acknowledge that we don't really know and just be open with that. It it creates more connection. Like those I don't, saying I don't know is a really, it's a vulnerable thing. It's silly, but it's a vulnerable thing to just be like, man, I wish I could help you, but let's, let's dig into this together. Sure. So I, I like hearing I don't know. <laughs> it's a weird yeah. thing to, to well, desire and crave, I guess. 
but that, that's what started my spiritual deconstruction mm. of my faith is I started saying, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it was, it was me saying, I don't know. Yeah. Why, it's really important. This? Yeah, it, it is really important. Um, but in the capacity that I was doing it, it was frowned upon. Right. And it's, it's where I really started to like dig in and deconstruct my own experience was just the willingness to say, I don't know. And now I'm teaching my 10 year old daughter and my four year old son, like, if you don't know, say, I don't know. Don't yeah. pretend that you know, cause then you're going to look like an idiot. Yes. And hyperbole is a big thing for me. Like I, I've, I really try hard to get my daughter to not say always, never mm. these like very, like you said, definitive statements, even if it's not about knowing something definitively, it's trying to prove a point so definitively that somebody can't argue back. And we have that conversation a lot, like always and never don't exist. That's awesome. So a pursuit of balance. I I, guess it, I love, I love, um, seeing people translating these like really big life lessons to, to their offspring. Cause I think it's, it's a missed opportunity if you have offspring and you don't take the giant things that you as a parent have learned and, and really start to imprint those things into right. your offspring's life. Yeah. It, you, it's a disservice. Yeah. They're not too young to learn the lesson. For sure. You're never like, too young to start learning the lesson. No, there might be topics that are age sensitive or appropriate, but kids are never too young to start learning the lesson. Yeah, that's that, that's one of my favorite things to to witness in in society. So I I love that. I love just hearing that that that's part of your existence. Yeah, I talked to my four year old about some weird shit, <laughs> like stuff way above his pay grade. We get into it because he he just doesn't he doesn't know any better. But if I don't teach him. He won't know any he better. Won't know any better for sure. Yeah. And you know, my daughter and I have had rounds. Like I'm her. Uh, I I've adopted her, um, so she's. I didn't create her. Yeah. But I'm responsible for her. Yeah. And we, we dive deep into conversations. Like uh, we have a tradition where we'll watch a show or a movie. Like at least one night of the on the weekends that she's with me. I'll put her brother to bed and we'll watch a movie or, and the first one we ever watched was the Truman show, Ooh. like in the vein of doing this as a practice. And she was like, dad, this is scary. And I was like, but kind of the world we live in and dialoguing about it. And like, um, we watched Goodwill hunting, which was really mm. intense for the 10 year old girl. But you know, the, the end story of like these, these kids, the, this teacher bringing out this freedom in these kids to explore something that was their family didn't like and then for the one kid to be so extreme that he took his life like not being able to handle the pressure of what everybody else wanted him to do that's a valuable lesson for me to teach my 10 year old who's in middle school who's dealing with mean girls and having yeah. to deal with like this boy likes that girl and what you know like golly so i'm willing to have hour long hours long dialogue with my kids who walk away not understanding yet yeah but they understand that it's the pieces that they that they take that will will get filled in along the course of time, and that's there's so much value in that. And I'm not going to stop running my mouth, so they're stuck with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 oh, 
Oh, I love it. Uh, I'm okay. So I have just a, a last couple of questions for you, and there yeah. um, we'll we'll lighten it up a little bit because this has cool. been a super fun conversation, but it's also been deep. <laughs> yeah, I I don't mind. I'm into it. Um, how about what's the worst purchase you've ever made? <laughs> oh God, you're asking some doozies. Uh, I filed bankruptcy a few years ago. Um, my ex and I filed bankruptcy and just out of sheer ignorance gave the car that we had, we let be voluntarily repossessed, which I didn't have to do come to find out, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I went and bought a Nissan Sentra, which there's no harm in that, but it was, <laughs> it had a 21% interest rate because it was post bankruptcy <laughs> On a car, and now I'm paying for it. Like, I finally was able to get out of the car, but the next car that I bought, I had to roll over all of that negative negative equity in. It's so stupid. Every time I think about the car, I get red. <laughs> that's the dumbest purchase I've ever made. Yeah. That's that's good work. I feel like you really have to you have to work a little bit hard to make make a Nissan Sentra be a bad purchase. But you did it. Yeah. That's impressive. And, and they're great cars. I mean, yeah. all, all, all is a great car, except yeah. for the damn interest rate that I paid on it. But that so, is, I mean, that's such, that is another part of the problem, right? Like that is predatory lending. There, it, there's no right. other way around that. That it's just, it's what it is. Yeah. And somehow we have to be, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be representing the wealthiest nation ever on our planet. And somehow we have to be willing to take care of people who need that assistance in those times that they do. And I know the argument is, well, someone's going to take advantage of it. And my point is, who cares? Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get rid of 99 people because one person might be lying. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, Hey, all of my friends need to go. Cause one of my friends is lying to me. That doesn't make any sense. Right. No. <laughs> and, and the argument oddly enough is that is always from wealthy people, not wanting other people to take their money. Yeah. And they, some of them, not all, some of the really wealthy people got there by cheating anyway. For sure. Like, that, and I don't, I'm not saying that because wealth is bad, because success is wrong, because money's bad. But I know enough people who have made a lot of money to know that they don't always play by all the rules. They're very accustomed to not playing by the rules. And if they played by all the rules, they had, that means they took advantage of society, the society that they were luckily born into, because no one depicted where they were going to be born. So no matter what, whatever it is, you ended up here and you got the most benefit. So if you got the most benefit to me, you should be willing to give back. Like you were, you won the lotto. Why, who do you, why do you care about who didn't win the lotto? Right. <laughs> it's just, it's, I, I, I wish people were willing to help people more. And I wish, I wish we had politicians who are willing to stand up and say that 21% interest rates are not a thing that should be allowed in our society. And there's just, there's some things that we could fix that seem really easy that would take situations like that and make them never available to anyone. Right. But then you wouldn't make lobbyist money. I, so 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> the cycle continues. The cycle, it always it's the corruption membrane is strong and that is a it's a it's a pretty societal problem that I I hope we figure out a way to address. Um on 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 that note, if you could know the absolute truth to any one question, what would it be? Ooh. Uh, honest to God, the, the only question that I actually care to know the answer to in that capacity, um, is, <laughs> let me frame my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a tad of an existential crisis. Mm. I, I grew up not believing something then I believed it for most of my life. And now I'm back to not having any semblance of an idea. Yeah. I just want peace yeah. of knowing what the answer is. Mm. I just want to know the origin of all things. That's the one like small order, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the one question that I would actually care to know the absolute to is the origin of existence. Yeah. That would, that would answer because an awful lot of questions, wouldn't it? It would put me at such peace to know I w was wrong or to know that I was right or to know that I was somewhere on this sliding scale between <laughs> really off and kind of close. Yeah. It give me such peace. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those questions that, uh, so that's a question that I, I like to ask a lot of people and, um, you very rarely get that answer. And I feel like that's the most obvious answer because if you, if you could identify that, the, the, the puzzle is like really easy. Then the puzzle is like put together for you. <laughs> it's just like, then you just have to put in the, the rows basically. Right. Um, but it's so much, it's, I think it's, it's almost, it's almost comical to me personally that as a human, we think we have the capacity to potentially be able to answer that question. <laughs> Same. Which, I've had to I've had to do a lot of internal apologizing for all the times that I said really ignorant shit. Like <laughs> I have really great friends that are atheist, agnostic, all you know, like yeah. kind of run the, the spectrum of spiritual existence and or belief. And I've said some really dumb things. We not all have. Dumb, <laughs> not dumb because they may or may not be true, but dumb because I said them as definitive <laughs> truth. Yeah. And I want to, I, I, I want to take all those things back. <laughs> like, and even if I found out today, if I found out the story, the origin story of humanity, I don't think it changes me anymore. There was a time where it would have changed me in some way, but I'm so far into being a humanist at this particular juncture of my life. Like I care nothing more about the treatment of humanity mm. that that answer actually wouldn't change me today. Yeah. It just would give me some peace. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. Um, hmm. I, I will leave you with this. So this would be my last question for you. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. I've wanted to ask you so many questions over the course of this, but you're a good host and you just like kept pushing me forward. I was like, no, 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 don't interrupt. Um, yeah. Uh, I, now I, now I feel the pressure to be unique. Don't fire away. <laughs> if this, if the time and energy and effort that you're spending on this podcast could lead you to something next, mm. what would you want that something next to be? Mm. 
So, so the podcast for, for me is, um, it's a piece of, of our puzzle and, um, we're working, we're working with, so Vitality is kind of our, our base. We, Vitality is a studio where we do some really unique things. Um, we created this first only world ever in floor whole body vibration system. And we use these tools that professional athletes use and pretty much no one else. Mm. And my goal is really to connect people back to this concept of primal wealth. Mm. So for it, primal wealth is, um, someone's probably going to run out and copyright it, but whatever, trademark it, whatever it's, it's life. Uh, primal wealth to me is this foundational, this foundational wealth that we all forget about. So our, our physicality and our mental health to me is the, is the first layer of wealth that's required because I've gone through my life and I've had, um, jobs where I have made ridiculous amounts of money. And during the course of my making all that money, I became intensely sick and I spent every single dollar that I made trying to get myself back to where I could exist as a human again. So we're really trying to create just these, the podcast is about creating these little bits, these little nuggets of information that can hopefully shift the way you're, you're living your life so that you don't fall into the same trap of going, 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 going after this carrot only to find out that the carrot was actually the stick and it, it, it beats you down. Um, and that's, that's really what our, our whole concept is. And it, from the podcast to what we do in the studio to, to what we do around the community, that's, that's our one, that's our one goal. And hopefully, hopefully it happens. (laughs) That's awesome. Who's we, uh, well, so there's a, so my, my partner and I, Erica, um, we, we founded the studio together. And from, from that point, we now have a pretty good sized team of roughly, roughly 10 of us who are really dedicated on a day in, day out basis to working with our whole, our whole studio community, which is somewhere between who knows, 300 to roughly 300 people working kind of intermingly together. Um, and, Eventually, eventually that may, that may become more. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Congrats on that. Thanks, man. It's a, it's a fun, it's a, it's a fun, weird, unique existence. That's for sure. As I'm, as I'm sure, I'm sure your world is. Every day. Every day. Dennis, thank you so much, man. I've, I've been thrilled, really, really enjoyed getting to converse with you. And, um, maybe someday we're, we're local enough. Maybe someday we can sit yeah. down and grab a coffee together. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time and reaching out to me, um, to allow me to be, you know, a voice in the, the midst of what you're creating. And I don't say that tritely. Like the, I, I actually hate having to say, feeling like I have to say things. I really am thankful for what you're doing and the time and energy that you put into having me on. Uh, I'm really grateful for it. 
yeah, man, I, I'm really grateful for you. I think that I, I, I feel like the, the content that I see you putting out in the world is just so in line with, um, with what we're doing and looking at yourself in this really authentic way. And we'll have uh, a link to your podcast in our show notes. So I hope people will check out and check out what you're doing because it's awesome stuff. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you, man. Appreciate it yeah. so much. Later.